surfing at the Olympic Games? Yes, it's going to happen. And the greatest surfer ever, Kelly Slater, wants to be there when it all goes down. I am thinking that I'm going to do my best to try and make that team. We spoke to Kelly at his brand new surf ranch about the future of the sport and the Olympics. Hello, my name is Ed Knowles, and this is the official Olympic Channel podcast. Each week we find something Olympic to talk about, and then we find an Olympian to talk about it. We want you to think just like an Olympian. So who is Kelly Slater? He's probably the world's most famous surfer, who at 46 is still looking to win an incredible 12th World Surf League title. And he's also got his eye on making the US team for Tokyo 2020. That's right, surfing is going to become an Olympic sport in 2020. But that's not the only way the sport is changing. Slater has built a wave pool on his ranch that you really have to see to believe. Now, I've only just seen videos, but we sent Ash Tullock from the Olympic Channel podcast to go and have a look, and she is here with me now. Hello. What's it like then? It's amazing. It's like Disneyland, actually. That's what a lot of the athletes said. They said, you come here and you expect a perfect wave and it's bigger and better than what you imagined. Uh, there's music, there's really good food. Kelly Slater puts on some delicious food. There's no junk food anywhere. It's all beetroot salads and things like that. Um, keeping in mind, Ed, I don't know if you know this, but it's in the middle of nowhere in a way. Lemoore, wonderful place, 25,000 people, but you've you've got to drive about 150 metres, in, uh, kilometres rather, inland to get there. Uh, so it's very dry. It's like having, you know, a swimming pool, a very big swimming pool in the middle of the Sahara. Yeah, it's kind of crazy as well that it's so far inland, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of, it plays with your mind a little bit and it feels like the beach. There's a massive big pool with a big wave and it feels like the beach. There's music, there's sun, it's warm, it's beautiful. So it's got all the elements of the ocean without the roar of the ocean. No ocean, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, you met the big man himself, Kelly Slater. How was he? Yeah, I did. And I tell you what, it was everything I ever imagined and more. He is a true legend. 11-time um, world champion. You don't just achieve that by, you know, clicking your fingers. He's worked so hard. He's clearly looked after his body. Actually, quick tip, he told me the way to look after your skin when you travel is to put coconut oil on your face. He said that's what he does. Um, but no, he he is so passionate about surfing and he's passionate about creating a wave which other people can enjoy, whether you're the best in the world or whether you're just a punter who loves surfing. But I started off by asking him what he thought of people who say his artificial wave machine wasn't surfing because it wasn't in the ocean. Don't come surf it then. Doesn't bother me. I don't know. I understand. I understand that mindset and stuff, but there's a lot of... People are really dynamic and complex creatures, and there's a whole lot of reasoning that goes into the things we think. It, it can be as simple as, I don't think I'll ever surf it, so I'm going to hate that thing. Um, it can be something I don't understand, so I don't like it. Um, you know, and, and some people can just think, yeah, yeah, that's not what surfing is. And so that's not surfing to them. So, you know, I'm not going to take anything away from them. Uh, if, that's, if that's how they feel, it is how they feel. I don't know. But you think, you personally believe this maintains the essence of surfing and, and can they coexist, the ocean and the wave pool? Yeah, they coexist. I mean, this, this, is, this experience is what you bring to it. It doesn't, you don't have to really attach anything to it. Come have some fun, ride a few waves, go home that night and 
plug back into your other life. When you first thought of the, the concept, what was the idea? Was the idea that you and your mates could have pools all around the world and just have fun? Yeah. Or was it actually to have a professional competition? Well, I thought we could have competitions. I also thought we could have different waves all around the world. And I, I was kind of envisioning, uh, first off, a community, and second, competition would be part of that too, but also teaching people and, and just sharing the fun. So the objective wasn't to make the best man-made man -made oh, wave was. in the world? Oh, yeah, it was. That was the objective. But I figured once we made the best man-made man -made wave in the world, that all that stuff could be part of it. So did you envisage that you would one day be holding a competition like this here? I thought we could, yeah. It wasn't out of the question. I think it, the idea of making the best possible wave you could that is a good quality way that, that the pros like or love, that you could then have an event and everyone would back it. It's got to be said, you always get asked about retirement. When are you going to put the surfboard away? Does, does a wave pool like this help your longevity? It could. The wave, a wave pool like this, a wave like this, makes you really tired, actually. My legs are fried. I feel like, uh, I don't know, I ride a couple waves and I'm like, man, I don't know if I can get, like, actually in, the, in as good a shape as I need to to maximize what this wave is because it's such a long ride. But <clears throat> it definitely will extend the, the life of my fun. How are you? How's your foot? My foot's pretty good. Getting there. These wood chips kind of hurt. <laughs> no, but I'm back into surfing, and uh, I'm, in, I'm enjoying that. You know, a couple days ago, I started running for the first time. I was running, and somebody goes, you're running. It's like, whoa, I didn't realize that. So the, the foot is uh, starting to feel good. Because the accident happened, the, the, the foot bending back happened in J-Bay. Am I right in thinking you competed at Pipe? But I since, did. But since then, you haven't really fully competed in a competition. I had a second surgery after that. Okay. So I, I competed at Pipeline where I was I was touch and go. If the waves weren't just tubes, I wasn't going to surf because I, I couldn't really do the, the small wave stuff. I couldn't really move around and turn. Like I said, I couldn't even run. I was still really kind of hobbling on my foot at the time. But I figured if I can stand up and go straight and pull into the tube, I'll do it. And the waves were pretty pretty good. It wasn't massive. It wasn't super dangerous, but it wasn't tiny, which would be even more difficult for me. So I surfed there. And then in February, I had a second surgery. It put me out for about six weeks. Um, couldn't really surf for five or six weeks. And then we, there was, we had the first contest of the year in Australia. Yeah. There was a really good swell. And it was at Kiro, which has been one of my favorite waves since I was a little kid. Um, and I was trying my hardest to get better for that. In fact, I missed my first round heat and um, asked them to kind of hold the spot in case I was going to practice in Hawaii, see if I could surf, and then try to get there and surf and, and hopefully catch that swell. But it was a little, there was a little, uh, I was being a little generous with where my foot was at at the time. <laughs> it was uh, not probably the smartest thing to, to try and do. So I, I pulled out and I, I, I just figured let's, let's just pull back for a few months, get the foot back to where I, I'm not, I want to I be where I'm not even thinking about it before I really jump back into competition. I'm just getting close to that point now. Um, I was sort of touch and go surfing this one. I think I'm fine, but I was, I was even thinking maybe I'll give my spot up to a younger guy or somebody, you know. But, uh, you know, they asked me to surf it, and I, I, and I think I'm healthy enough too. But I'm still going to probably take at least one or two more events off before I jump back in. Because going back to 2016, that was when you said you were going to have one more crack at getting a 12th title, right? Yeah. So are you still, are you still motivated for that, given what's happened to you now? Um, 
I'm pretty motivated. I want to get, I think this time off's been good for me because it's almost like give me a little downtime to go, you know, let's just put that one more bit of energy in for a year, get the body right, rehab my back that's had an issue, um, my hip that's had issues. I've broken both my feet a combined total of four times. Uh, it's an injury I keep having in the same way. Uh, it's just where I expose myself, how, how and where I expose myself on a wave when I tube ride mostly. Um, so yeah, it's a thing that's happened over and over again. But you know, I've been lucky throughout my whole career. I've only probably missed, I've missed more events from this injury than I've missed my whole career from injury all combined. So I've been real lucky. You know, I've only missed one or two events ever uh, in, a, in any given year from injury. You've got a long list of achievements. I'm not going to stand here and list them because we'll be here all night and you've got <laughs> surfing to do. But one thing you don't have is an Olympic gold medal. Nobody does. <laughs> not in surfing. <laughs> so uh, will you be gunning for a Tokyo 2020 spot? And what will it take for you to make it onto that USA team? Um, as of now, I am thinking that I'm going to do my best to try and make that team. If I make it, great. If I don't, I'm totally fine with that. You know, I've had a good, long career in surfing, a great life in surfing. That would be a nice sort of bookend to, to my career if I was able to make that team. It looks like they're only going to take a couple guys from each country. So I might move to Bolivia next week and try to get on their team. <laughs> do you, do you, where are your parents from? Have you got any heritage? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I might have to go to Italy and join, uh, join Leonardo, jump on that team. What about the wave pool in an Olympic capacity? How realistic do you think that is? And, and do you think it's a necessary thing? I do think that a wave pool technology of some sort is necessary for the Olympics. I really, I really do. To have that consistency, to, to please the Olympics, as it were, uh, to please the committee, it's so that they see what can really be on display from our sport. This is kind of the perfect example. When you go to the Olympics, it's all about the performance. You don't want to have luck factors I don't think in those sports that are in the Olympics you want to, you know if you're if you're playing a, a ball sport it comes down to a score it's pretty easy if you're you know playing golf the ball goes in the hole or it doesn't after so many strokes um, if you're running everybody has the same distance there's no luck like the wind was different when that guy ran or this person ran so this is the one way we can limit all of those into a, a somewhat controlled environment there could be some wind differences that could factor in there so there's a little bit of nature in there <clears throat> but for the most part, you're going to surf the same thing someone else did. And I think that's the way that the Olympics would be most fair. I know you care a lot about the environment. Where does the wave pool fit in terms of being environmentally friendly? Well, we have to look at all the materials we use, the amount of concrete we use, where that is sourced and comes from, what we do uh, to get our water and where that water goes if we're done using that. Um, here on this property, we have a great filtration system. We, we do lose some water to evaporation, that's natural. Not much we can do about that. Uh, in the past, when we have cleared out the water from our uh, lake, we call it a lake, not a pool. Uh, when we clear the water out from the lake, we've given it to local farmers to grow. We've basically put it back into the irrigation system. Um, so we're, and, and when we have broken some things down and rebuilt, we've, we've tried to reuse and repurpose whatever we have, either by giving it to someone else who can use it or by reusing it here on the property. So. Um, you know, when you build anything of this magnitude, this size and scale, you're going to have some, uh, you know, things that aren't exactly perfect, to be perfectly blunt. But um, we're, we're trying to be mindful of that, and we want to bring in 
different technologies and experts in different fields to be able to alleviate that in the future. And in terms of how much bigger it can get, thinking about football stadiums, rugby stadiums, you know, there's, a, there's big grandstands where the yeah. crowd is looking over top of, of the pitch. Yeah. Can you see the waves getting bigger? Can you see, I don't know, possibly big wave surfing or something where people can really stand and look in over the pool and, and really get an experience of what it's like to look in and for you as a surfer, hearing the crowd roar. Yeah, well that's a, there's a number of different topics there. I, as far as how big you can make this wave, I think realistically, you know, if we can get the wave up to 10 foot on the face, eight to 10 foot on the face, I think that's a pretty acceptable size for basically anyone on earth. I don't think we're ever gonna see 20 plus foot waves in a, in a wave park of some sort, but who knows? I mean, the stuff they're building in Abu Dhabi, you got buildings that are a third of a mile high and you know they'll think of anything and then build it. I heard they're gonna build a 10,000 foot mountain there. Whoever thought of something like that. So it can be done, it, you know, it can be, it feasibly can be done. Um, it just comes down to the money and what its purpose is and you know, sustainability and generating capital for it and stuff like that. So there's a the whole business aspect. I have to ask, how much longer do you think you're going to be putting on, putting on um, your shirt and, and getting out there with that Slater on the back? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I, next year could possibly be my last full-time year, but I'll probably compete for a number of more years in, in events. If I can get wild cards into events, I really love. You know, I, if, the, if they'd let me, I'll surf at Pipeline until I'm 70. You know, <laughs> they'll give me a spot in the event, put me out there. But uh, there's, a, there's a few events I really love, year after year I'd love to be at, and, and uh, whether I'm surfing or not, I'd probably show up at. Thanks to Kelly Slater there, who was super generous with his time. Ash, you surf? Tell me. Badly. <laughs> you still do it. What did this wave look like to you? Was it any different to a real wave? Well, it was perfect, <laughs> and it went for a really long time. Waves in the ocean don't last as long as this one did. Um, and, and the other thing about it is that it's really powerful. Like I said before, you know, you turn up and you expect to see this beautiful wave, and you see the best surfers in the world riding it, but a lot of them were falling off it because it is so strong. Um, and there's also kind of an interesting thing happening where the wave is so good and so long that surfers don't want to do anything that's going to risk them falling off it. Yeah. You know, when, you, when you're surfing a normal wave in the ocean, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what's at the end of it. But with this wave, every surfer knows there's a barrel at the end of it. So you don't want to risk doing a trick or something that's too kind of... Um, you don't well, want to put it all out there because you might risk not hitting that barrel at the totally. end. Totally. Uh, exactly. That's exactly it. <laughs> but the, the Kelly himself said, I mean, he's an, he's an older guy now. Uh, politely. 46, yeah. And he was saying that even with, even though he's totally stacked, he can't sometimes last to the end of that, that the wave. You know, yeah. just physically, it's tough. Yeah, and I was talking to Paige Harib, who is a Kiwi surfer, and she'd spent the two days before the competition out there riding the wave, and she said her legs were just so had it. And it also requires a different level of fitness. You know, when you're going out and you're surfing in the ocean, you ride a wave, it's over, you paddle back out. They're not having to paddle because there's jet skis that help them. You know, there's a few different variables here. In terms of if we think about the mindset a little bit more, um, you know, if you if you and I, for example, were sitting waiting in a competition ready for a wave, um, there is a priority component to it. So one of us is allowed to surf 
and the other one has to wait. But you don't have to do that in this wave pool because there's no one else out there. There's you and the guy on the jet ski, and that's it. <laughs> so it looks so strange, but it also looks absolutely incredible as well. I mean, who you saw at the Founders' Cup, which was a big tournament, which had a lot of the world's be very best surfers there. Who looked the best on the wave? Who looks the most natural on the artificial wave? You're right in saying that they are the best surfers in the world, but even them, even they struggled on this wave because it's so strong and so powerful. And a lot of it, as I mentioned before, is about the head game. It's about knowing that you've got this fantastic wave and not getting too caught up in trying to make the most of it. It was surprising that the likes of John John Florence, the two-time world champion, uh, Felipe Toledo, the Brazilian, these guys are the best in the world, but they were struggling. And a lot of, um, a lot of the people there who have seen different athletes compete on the wave uh, or practice on the wave over the last few months at the, as they've been building the wave, they said it takes quite a bit of time to get used to it. But one person really did stand out, and that is six-time world champion Steph Gilmore. She... Honestly, men and women around the world want to surf like Steph. And what makes it even worse is that she is one of the nicest people you will ever meet. Um, and she is so articulate. And it was really nice to, to talk to her. And she touched on a couple of things, uh, including how much she's looking forward to Tokyo and how much she loved Kelly Slater's wave. This is an incredibly historic event in surfing. And to be here to experience this you know, this is breaking down barriers and this is opening a can of worms um, that's kind of terrifying, but just so exciting at the same time. And, and I love that the WSL are right at the forefront of wave pools and, and, you know, the Kelly Slater Wave Company is the leader in this stuff. So to have an event here, to get the world's best surfers here and to put on an event where there's music and, you know, it's a full show, this is what... This is what we've always dreamed about. Like, I remember as a young kid thinking, how cool would it be if you could create a wave pool and just press a button and a perfect wave would come? And Kelly's done that. Do you feel like what you're experiencing right now is a, a unique part of history? This is an incredibly uh, important part of the future of surfing because, you know, the, the ocean is obviously and will always be the most magical and genuine and... and spiritual experience for any surfer to compete in the ocean will always bring out the very best surfers in the world because the fact that you can try and win in conditions that are always changing it really you know brings out the worst and the best in everyone um, but you know to also bring that back to a wave pool where everyone has the, the same playing field I get these feelings out here where you know you can't blame a loss on anyone else but yourself and it's such a whole new world. It's like, well, this is, this is incredible because, it's, yeah, it's moving more into these um, you know, stadiums and areas like the Olympics where we can put our surfing on display for everyone to see and it's all equal. We all get the same opportunity. And this is a whole new world. So it's a little scary for sure, but I love it. I think that if the WSL aren't doing it, you know, the wave pools are going to be created and, and you know, they'll be left behind. So it's, it's really important for them to be right at the forefront of this and, and obviously pushing to have it in a wave pool for the Olympics. To me, it makes the most sense because it's like to have every, the consistency in every single Olympics, to have it in the same conditions. You know, we could be in who knows what kind of landlocked country in some Olympics and there's not gonna be an ocean, so how will we run surfing? 
So I think it's important that we can have arenas like this to do that. There are people that say that this isn't right, that surfing, it needs to be in the ocean. So what do you say to that? I just say to them, well, you don't have to surf it. You know, there's a lot of people that are complaining, it's not surfing and I'm not going to watch that because it's, you know, you, you guys are killing the sport and all this kind of thing. And I just think, well, you, you're not handcuffed to the wave pool. You don't have to surf it. You don't have to watch it. Don't tune in. You know, of course, we want to have the best competitive experience. We want the fans to enjoy the show. It's the entertainment industry. Um, and I've just always thought, you know, yeah, everyone's allowed their own opinion, but I just think it's kind of funny because I'm like, well, you don't have to serve it. You don't have to watch it. And no one's stopping you from just going out into the ocean and, and enjoying surfing in the, in the experience the way that you want to do it. So don't bring that negativity into what we're doing, you know, just appreciate it. And, you know, if you don't want to be part of it, then that's, that's what it is for you. But, but uh, we love it, so. Tokyo 2020, how much do you want to be a part of that? Yeah, I, as a young girl, I used to watch the Olympics and just dream of being in the athletics. I wanted to throw a discus or a javelin or just anything, you know, I wanted to be involved in that. Um, watching Kathy Freeman win gold in the Sydney Olympics in year 2000 was just, you know, I still get goosebumps thinking about it, just how inspirational that was. And uh, so to finally get the chance as a professional surfer is incredible. And I would love to do that. So I'll do my very best to try and qualify and, and make it happen. Thanks to Julian Williams for recording that and to Steph Gilmore too. And we've had some real help from the World Surf League this week. So big thanks to them. So Ash, have you seen the future? I think so. <laughs> I really do genuinely think, I think the future is, is in a wave pool in many ways. For the big competitions though, the wave pool opens up a new door, doesn't it? Because the, the reliability of nature, by its nature, nature can't be relied upon. Totally. The predictability, the way that they can organise it. Um, and also let's not forget that the ocean is... Um, a wonderful beast, but at the same time, there are things like sharks, which change up the game again. Um, and I think, I think moving forward, it really is going to take the step, take the sport forward to make it um, a more commercial, viable and enjoyable experience for everyone. Brilliant. Thanks, Ash. You're all right to stick around and give us some recommendations, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So you might remember from the last episode that we mentioned the new Olympic Channel series, design focus. We take a look at the story behind the designs of the Olympic Games, from the incredible logo of Mexico 68 to the story behind the London 2012 one and also the Olympic rings. If you've ever wondered who came up with the ideas and how all these things got made, then you should have a look. Here's a clip. When you're designing for the Olympics, you're creating that magical moment for the athletes. It's got to be epic. It's got to be something that's so recognisable and so distinctive around the globe that people know they're looking at Olympic Games. It's such an important part of human culture. That's what excited me about hosting the world's greatest and biggest sporting event. Design allows an opportunity to tell a story about a country, about a people, and it also allows that possibility to dress a venue, to create a consistency across the city, to allow people to feel like they're part of something. It's the greatest show on earth. 
And so that's why you, as a designer, raise your game and give it everything you've got. If you search for Olympic Channel and then Design Focus, then you'll find all 12 episodes available now. Right, just before we go, Ash is back to give us a few recommendations. So, Ash, have you got a book for us to recommend? I do. Do you follow much tennis? I do. I went to the Madrid Open oh. the week before last, yeah. Um, Andre Agassi's book, fantastic. Yes. I Honestly, I've read it before and I've read it again recently and I try and read it so slowly because I don't want it to end. <laughs> it's that good. It's hands down that good. Yeah, Have yeah, you read yeah. it? No, I haven't read it. I've always, me I've always meant to read it, so maybe you can lend it to me. Super, really like to super insightful on so many different levels. Hmm. Just quickly, Agassi came to New Zealand about two, three years ago and he said that his dad always wished that he had got his son to play golf because there's more hmm. longevity in golf. I don't know. I know that there's. I've not read it yet, have I? Clearly, but I loved Agassi when he was when I was growing up. So, and he seemed to last forever. But he didn't. Ha he didn't. He didn't love it, and I think there was an internal struggle there. But you'd love it. You'll. Re you really yeah. will. Yeah. No, I really must read it. I don't know why I haven't. Oh, and by the way, Agassi's book is called Open. And any podcast you've been listening to that some people might get onto. Well, actually, in preparation for an interview with Niger Houston, uh, who I just spoke to in LA, I listened to The Nine Club. Yeah, skateboarder Niger Houston is an absolute legend, by the way. Super cool dude. Led us into his apartment in LA um, and just sat there doing the interview with a skateboard under his foot. Like, Very nice. And what, sorry, was the podcast? The podcast was The Nine Club. And they have like skateboarders on each week presumably yeah they have a mix of everything really but a lot of good skateboarders anyway thank you very much ash for everything and we'll be in touch very soon i'm sure thanks to everyone who got in touch about our last episode lots of people have come up to me saying they enjoyed it and ash's interview as well we had olympic legend carl lewis talking about the future of athletics olympian Sharefa Barksdale tweeted us to say Carl is the real deal. And at Brissard Raymond on Twitter, wasn't impressed though. He said Carl Lewis is still bitter that his records have been taken apart. The interview, it will be divisive, but it was really interesting though. So have a listen. If you have any recommendations for us to listen to or read, then send those over to us. We are at Olympic Channel across all social media. If you want to be my best friend forever, then write a five-star review for us on iTunes and subscribe. Subscribing really helps us out, and we've got some really amazing guests, like Nigel Houston, as Ash says, lined up in the next few weeks. So make sure you jump on the podcast every Wednesday. That's it for now. Until next time.